Thanks for joining me today. You shot me. Excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been, uh, I, I'm glad that we were introduced. Uh, since, since I was introduced, it was by one of my old coworkers, actually. You were, you were planning on getting on a lot of podcasts uh, in the next few weeks, few months, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's cool. I'm, uh, I was really excited. I was like, yes, because I love having founders and creatives. And then I got to see a few of the, the little documentary shorts you had on, on LinkedIn. Those were wild. Uh, yeah. I do want to talk about some of those for sure, but, uh, but why don't you give us, uh, what you do? I know you have e-commerce brand DTC brand, but I know it's a lot more than that. So I'd love to hear uh, in your own words, like what you do and, and how you got here. Yeah, for sure. So what we do is, you know, a founder and CEO of a brand, uh, called Endure. We're actually going through rebrand. So we'll kind of talk about the new name, which by the time this comes up, we might be operating under that new name at some point, but, um, founded in 2016, uh, with the idea to kind of innovate and evolve the performance socks and design socks that could be worn all day for active lifestyles and kind of combine technical innovation with beautiful design and have this unique athletic canvas for expression. So that was the general idea. And we kind of in 2016 started the brand and then have grown it over the past five and now we're in our sixth year um, and have scaled to North America sales, multi eight figures who've grown the team from uh, just a you know, couple of co-founders to over 20 people now. Um, and you know we're on the path to just like trying to claim our spot as the number one performance stock brand in the world. That's what we're working towards. Um, there's a lot in there, obviously we can, we can <laughs> dig into. Like a five-year journey is hard to condense, but the gist of it is you know, we sell performance socks. We've got tons of variations of designs that athletes and just active individuals can use to kind of express themselves. We sell that primarily direct to consumer via e-commerce, but I don't say we're like an e-com brand, like we're just a global brand and like our business model is direct to consumer as we aim to kind of have that direct relationship with the customer and not to say we don't do wholesale, but we're just kind of direct as a first channel and then we'll do other things like wholesale and white labeling and our own storefronts, et cetera. But the primary bulk of our sales are online. That's cool. Uh, and yeah, I mean, your five-year journey uh, from what I saw when I uh, was stalking you on LinkedIn for this interview, <laughs> doing yeah. some research, right? Um, it was a wild start, but um, it was a wild start, but I loved, like, I love some of the, the, the things that you guys did to just like keep pushing through it. Um, because what I saw in that uh, video was there was a little bit of a rocky start with like founders and things like that. I don't know how much you can get into it, I'm not really curious about that. I, what I am curious about though, is how you pivoted from, you know, being, you know, you love to race bikes, right? Uh, and then going into a new fresh uh, business and then hitting that wall, like a really hard wall that quickly and how you kind of came through that. Yeah, for sure. So like what you're talking about is like in my, I call my past life before starting my business, I've raced <laughs> mountain bikes competitively um five years on the canadian national team traveled the world a couple times and then when i walked away from the sport i asked myself you know what do i want to do next and uh it's about a two-year period of kind of like going back to school working out jobs and really missing kind of the, that that fire in my belly waking up and chasing a really big goal so I decided to start a business in the athletic space and not knowing what i didn't know I, I didn't have any business education or experience i wasn't in school for business i just asked my buddy that I was in school with, hey, I've got this idea. I, I, I already kind of got it started in my head and I've got some, some things we need to do right away. Like, do you want to do it with me? You know, in, in hindsight, that's not a good reason 
to partner with someone on a business. So um, yeah, like slowly but surely over the next like one to two years, things started to kind of like not work out between us. And um, there was just a misalignment on values on where we wanted the business to go. You know, starting a business is a lot like a marriage and you have to have like those hard conversations up front of like, what does hard work mean to you? You know, I know what it means to me at being like a former elite athlete, like you have to put in the work and there's not a lot of pats on the back and you know, you 99% of the work gets unseen. The 1% of the time you're like winning a race or, you know, celebrating uh, that's what other people see. And they're like, Oh, they've got it all, you know, got it easy. And it's great. It's like, well, you didn't see like all the, all the injuries and all that stuff. So same thing with business is you didn't see like all of the, all the reading and the ups, the downs, the failures. So, you know, at the two year, close to the two year mark, co-founder decided that it was too much and he wanted to step away from the business and quit, but we didn't have like any of the proper legal paperwork or shareholder agreements. So it just had this like messy situation where basically I had to not fight, but had to, you know, like buy them out and negotiate when egos and feelings were involved. And there wasn't just a, your classic kind of like shareholder agreement that lays out the, the resolutions of like how you would separate. It's, it was just a lot more like, you had to come to the table and come to an agreement, which is always tough. Uh, but we got it done. Was able to buy out former partners and uh, regain control of the company. And kind of like to answer your question in like a really long-winded way, um, <laughs> like how I dealt with it is like, as an athlete, I learned a lot of lessons of like, when I was racing, like I lost a lot more than I won, right? And so I was continually training myself, I guess, to, to fail, you know, and like not fail, but learn. And just like use these as opportunities to grow and evolve. And, you know, when this whole thing was going down, with the co-founder buyout, it was like an exceptional learning opportunity where I learned so much about just like our business and corporate law and accounting. And, you know, do I also like a timestamp of like, are you going to take a $150,000 personal loan and go all in on this? Or are you going to walk away and do something else? You know, it's kind of like that two years in of like, hey, I'm actually going to like take a stab at this and see what we can build it into so i don't know it's not really in my dna to kind of like back down i guess but uh mm-hmm. at the same time I'm, I'm willing to back down from things i don't believe in and i just truly believe that like, it could be where it is today and much further and so i just want to kind of bet on myself yeah that's cool and that's a really important principle for just business owners in general um because it's so hard like i mean you you had a really really tough experience um in, you know, in your, in your situation. But I think a lot of like entrepreneurs or founders or like a lot of people who listen to this podcast or people who are aspiring to be that, uh, to kind of get where you have, where, where you're at and not realizing that you have to have this kind of like, do whatever it takes mentality. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like a delusion. <laughs> yeah, I, was, <laughs> sure. I, was thinking, I was thinking about it like the other day. It was like, I think like, well, entrepreneurs are quite flawed because like, I think it takes a level of kind of like, not delusion, but a level of like commitment that's abnormal yeah. um, to like, kind of like, lack of a better term, like endure the pain. There's a lot of like, a lot of hard decisions, a lot of hardships, a lot of things that make your stomach turn. But at the same time, like you have to kind of enjoy that pain and like you like you thrive on it. So like, there's obviously something wrong with that, but like it has its benefits too. It's like the same thing with athletes. It's like, you know, like a long distance runner, for example, like they have some level of like comfort or joy in that excruciating pain of pushing their mm-hmm. body to a limit, right? And it's like, that's not normal. 
um but <laughs> but it's at the same time it's like what makes them exceptional in their field so i think like um i don't know really what my main point is there but i was just like reflecting on it the other day i was like i was like thinking of like how i'm really committed to something and then if i'm not fully committed i'm basically like full off switch or on switch i think that's yeah. like I was, I was asking myself like internally like, is that an attribute of an entrepreneur is like because i think in order to like be very uncommitted at something it means that when you do commit like you're all in despite like getting like the uh, like the most excruciating pain or like toughs ups and downs is like doesn't matter i'm committed i think that's like as i was trying to ask myself like why can't i commit to these things that like other people can just like do or like enjoy themselves doing and i just realized like if i'm not all in on it or it's not that important to me like i just don't find that much enjoyment in it so like the flip side is that if i am working on something i'm like all in on it so yeah it's kind of like a catch-22 sometimes i wish sometimes i could just like <laughs> just have fun for the sake of having fun but at the same time what's fun to me is kind of like being uncomfortable so um i don't know i don't know what the main takeaway from that is i think it's maybe just like trying to work through my own flaws and and figure out why i'm good at some things and bad at others but i think <laughs> that's like that's like everyone right so. right well no i enjoyed your point on just realizing that you have to learn how to be uncomfortable like be comfortable being uncomfortable because mm -hmm. that's a really tough principle to learn like i mean i i was an athlete before as well never at the level that you were but there but i love to wrestle i like football and things like that and there is a point where you have to just realize in your head like this is just going to suck for a while and we either got to keep going or we got to quit now because we're either all in or we're all out you know what i mean and uh, that's a tough reality for some people. I think a lot of people um, are enjoy comfort, like, uh, definitely a lot more than I think they would admit. Um, one thing I've realized is that like, I'm most comfortable when I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So like, although it sucks and I don't like actually enjoy the, like <laughs> the pain and stuff like that, but like when things are going well, I'm almost like, okay, like what's next let's go like bring it on you know like mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like wartime versus peacetime i think i'm i'm definitely more productive and kind of like turned on in wartime and when things are tough and things are coming at me but not to say i don't enjoy peacetime too it's just i think <laughs> that uh i just think that like generally and i've always said this like we don't learn our most important lessons when things are going our way mm -hmm. right so it's like I, I love the opportunity to learn and evolve. And that generally comes from like some level of uncomfort discomfort almost always. So like, if mm -hmm. you're not uncomfortable, I, I always question whether or not I'm playing it too safe. Yeah. Um, so that's generally and, how people learn. Yeah. And is this kind of the main, is this kind of your main um, driving like motivations behind your rebrand? Cause I know you're going through a whole rebrand and kind of talk us through like, you know, maybe what, what caused that was that the whole, what I saw on LinkedIn, the, the trademark fiasco. Yeah. So, you know, like we can't talk too much about the details, sure, but basically sure. what happened is um, something happened and we were faced with a bunch of different decisions and, and choices to make. And when looking at the business over the past five years and into the future with this kind of catalyst moment, we're talking about, we decided that like there was an opportunity to rebrand and evolve that just kind of like, took everything we've learned about the brand and you know build it in a way for the future that seemed to make more sense from when we started it five years ago um not to say anything like we love our current name and and didn't necessarily need to make an, like a, another project to work on but um when we finally wrapped our heads around everything realized that like this is a good move for the future and we were super excited to kind of like 
ask ourselves if we needed to start over again, what would we, how would we do it? And we, we basically took that approach with all the experience and the brand we already have. And it's important to kind of state what's not changing, you know, our same ownership, same team, product, logo, really, we're just going through a name change and I can say that name now. So we're going from our current name in Jiren, we're rebranding as Outway. Um, So O-U-T-W-A-Y, the amalgamation of the two words separate to, to become one. And, you know, how we got there is we asked ourselves, like, we, we kind of interviewed a ton of our customers or team or partners and said, like, what's the feeling our brand gives to you? Like when you put on our socks, like what, why, why do you buy our product? And like, what, how would you explain us to others? And generally what I kept hearing was like, oh, I, I buy your product and I, I put them on when I go for my bike ride that I'm trying to like, you know, like climb a hill faster than I have before, or I'm putting the socks on because I've got an important meeting that day. And it gives me like a, a little like kind of nod of, of like, you, you got this, you can do this. Um, and I, I kept hearing these stories of like, I wear these socks when, and like that when moment always seemed to be like when they were just trying to do their, their personal best, like go do their best job. And so we like reformulated our mission as like a part of this exercise to be like, to inspire everyone's personal best. That's like what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we looked at our past name, Venture, we were like, well, this is a lot more of a representation of kind of the grit and perseverance, but our brand has evolved to a way where it's a lot more about just being better every day. Not necessarily about the struggle as much, even though it's a part of the journey. It's really just about that like constant obsessive sort of desire to do better than you were yesterday and separate performance from winning and tie performance to improvement. And when we thought about that, we're like Outway is this nice name that the community and customer can ascribe their own meaning to it. But what we think it means that like in the pursuit of your personal best, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and carve your own way. So it's the amalgamation of those two things and it builds on the past brand. You know, it's in terms of the name, it's phonetically pleasing, two syllables, easy spell, remember, we got the domain. There are so many things like, and, and this was a hard fought journey. It was six months of work, a lot of diligence, a lot of design, a lot of our time, a lot of money. Um, but uh, ultimately. Hey everybody, it's Dalton again. And I wanted to introduce you to my sales group mastermind. This is for business owners and sales consultants who want to learn the lifeblood of business. Look, the reality is, is if you're selling to somebody and it's face to face, or you got to jump on sales calls or You have to learn how to persuade and influence people in your business every day. This is the mastermind group for you. Uh, We'll have trainings every week. We have a full sales training course that'll take you through it. And most of all, uh, you don't have to break any of your morals or your ethics to learn how to sell in my course. So we focus on empathy-based sales techniques and persuasion and influence that is based on helping and serving other people because reciprocity in business is probably one of the most effective tools to win over your clients. So with all that being said, you can join at empatheticselling.com. You can sign up for a full year or you can go month to month. Either way, it's great. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Thank you so much. What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Norm Wilkinson, the happy health insurance guy. You know that if you're a small business owner, entrepreneur, 1099 employee, finding the right health insurance can be a pain. Not anymore. With Norm, he is an entrepreneur. He is a business owner. So he understands the challenges that we all face every day with health insurance, with finding the right price. And that means that he's better equipped to help us all find the right coverage 
at the right price. So visit his website, thehappyhealthinsuranceguy.com, or give him a call at 801-687-9191 for a free consultation and policy review. Having a relationship-oriented health insurance agent that will take the time to customize your coverage is amazing and not just another dude at a call center. So give him a call, 801-687-9191 or visit him at thehappyhealthinsuranceguide.com. Let him give you a policy review and a free consultation and it'll be the best decision you ever made. Thank you so much for listening. When we look, if we like think about where we're going to be in five years from now, we're, we're really happy about the change and the move and the new name. We think it's super strong. Um, and we were able to maintain the use of our, old, our, our past logo, which was super important. And it works the new name really beautifully because that's what's on all our products. So every product purchased in the last few years is still, still relevant. It still has our logo and there's still a part of it that's recognizable. So that was like a, a win through this whole process as well. And it's, it's really just a name change. So, um, you know, like I said, it wasn't work we wanted to, to put on our plate, but, uh, Given the circumstances, there is lots of options. We chose that the best option would be to just go through this rebrand now while we still can and set ourselves up for the future. That's cool. You know, the whole time you were talking, I was remembering the video that I watched and how beautifully your team reacted to the news and how everybody on the team, immediate, their thoughts immediately went to like, all right, well, like we can figure this out. Like we've done, we've gone through hard things before. We can do it again. Like maybe this is what's supposed to happen. I thought that that was like really awesome because yeah, that's not the first <laughs> thought that I had, like that I would have had. <laughs> yeah. I think I we like, just, um, <laughs> that, that team and a lot of our team have been with me for a long time now. And it's just, just not our first rodeo. And so we've learned sure. that like, like shit's going to happen. And ultimately when faced with these decisions, it's like, well, the first thing we know is that we're going to just figure it out. And like I said in the video, and like we've referenced in the videos a lot. So if people go onto YouTube, we've released, a, it's going to be a three-part series about this whole rebrand process. And the first two videos are out right now. So if you just type Rob Fraser rebrand series, you should be able to find it on YouTube. And by the time this comes out, the third video will be live too. So you'll be able to see like the first video, which is the past five years, the foundation, the bio story. Second video is kind of like we had a videographer on staff at the time that this all happened and so we caught the real raw that was not acting that was like the real raw like reaction to the catalyst moment in the third video will be basically a condensed version of what we're explaining now all the steps we mm -hmm. went through to rebrand like why it's exciting why we chose to, to evolve and move forward so for anyone listening that'll be a, a good resource to kind of double down on on this story but um yeah i mean like perseverance and kind of turning adversity and opportunities just in our DNA. It's like part of our mm -hmm. culture. And so that's generally how, if anything, like, I think like my team reacted a lot better than I did. So, um, cause I was kind of shell shocked and devastated, but like they immediately switched into kind of like, we'll figure this out. Like, well, it's what we do. It's what we always do. So, um, yeah, I think it's an important skill to build that like, you know, it happened. There's nothing we can do about it. So we might as well just figure out how we're going to carve the path forward. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was really inspiring to watch that because it's such a beautiful thing to see a team like come together like that, because that's what you want as a business owner, right? You, you not only want like 
good leadership. You, you not only want good, but you want a good team. Like you want a good foundation and, uh, and to have, and to have people to just rally and go behind and who are just already, no matter what happens is, is really inspiring. And I love what you said about your brand where performance is tied to improvement. Um, how did you, I mean, I, I know it's a weird question, but I always love digging into like the, the, how people got to the, the, those conclusions. Um, because that's not a normal, like certainly in, in the hustle culture that we have today, you know, uh, on LinkedIn and, and Instagram and everything, uh, we, we see a lot about like results and things like that. And, and obviously results are important, but what kind of made that shift, that change for you uh, to go from like performance uh, to results versus to performance to improvement? Thanks to realization that like, you can't win at life like we all die so it's like if you keep just trying to like like win all the time or like 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 rate or kind of like stack ourselves up against others or what other people are doing and look I'm still like super competitive and still like want to win things but at the same time it's just like it's a lot more enjoyable to just like try and improve instead of like trying to win I think it also came from like a level of maybe burnout after being an athlete for so long that like I wanted just to enjoy things like go out to like do for a bike ride or a run and not try to win. Like I just wanted to like improve my time or I just wanted to like, just be physically fit for the sake of being physically fit and increasing like my chances of living longer instead of just trying to like, really it came from like me as like just getting a bit older, like becoming 30 and realizing like, Hey, at a certain point, you got to stop exercising to try and win races and start like just exercising to like be healthier and, and like not be in pain and stuff like that and so it was really like a part of like separating for myself like taking care of my body and mind and not having the motivation being winning a race but actually just like living a more healthy balanced lifestyle and so like when I had that shift it's like well there needs to be a brand in the marketplace that also tells that story and kind of spreads that message that look like in the end of the day the most satisfying thing I think is that like you look back on yesterday and you're like, Hey, today I improved or I learned something new. And then eventually by doing that for long enough over time, like those big goals or you want to win a race, like there's something wrong with trying to win a race. Like, mm -hmm. like we still have Olympians and stuff on our, on our athlete roster. It's just like, and I still want to win things, but like that shouldn't be the only goal. It should be like the result of just being like better every day. Not yeah. like you, you're not just training to just like win a race because then I think it, encourages negative behaviors that actually probably will hinder longevity, which is like, are yeah. you really winning if you die young or something like that? Right. So. <laughs> no, I like that. I mean, I heard a quote, uh, when I was, you know, when I scroll through, when I was scrolling through my, my social media feeds and it was like the, the person who loves to run will run further than the person who loves the destination. And it's kind of like the essence of what you're saying, right? Because I totally understand. And, and one thing that really caught my mind, like as, as a wrestler, um, we all believed that we had to cut massive amounts of weight. It was super unhealthy. And we all, we all uh, experienced this massive burnout because of like what you said, right? Like our only goal was to win and our only goal was to win in this space. Um, but what happens after that? Like there, I think uh, performance based on improvement, like performance tied to improvement is just more sustainable. Like you just falling in love with the process and getting better every day and working it, you know what I mean? Versus like and it's, 
Yeah, and it's intrinsic, right? It's like it's not yeah. looking for external validation, like a result or someone else saying like, or like uh, trying to like look good on Instagram or something stupid <laughs> like that. It's like you actually are happy with yourself. And I think like as a society, I think we're, we're shifting quite far away from people actually doing things because it makes them feel good and they want to just like be woke about the current thing or they want to like look good on Instagram. And it's just like, you wonder why depression and anxiety are on like the rise, like, like worse than the current pandemic we're in, right? It's like, like the real issue is like all these yeah. teens and, and young adults that are just extremely unhappy because they've been brought up in a world that makes them think that like they need to be a certain way when like they just don't actually do what makes them happy. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think it's just a really cool principle. I love, I love these counterintuitive approaches to life because inevitably when you focus on, on improvement and like you battle yourself and you kind of let go of that ego of like trying to beat everybody and you just focus on, you know, winning in, in yourself, uh, you actually end up go, getting a lot further than most people, right? You actually end up winning a lot more, learning a lot more, uh, succeeding more because you just focused on, you know, the walk and the journey and, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and a lot of people that I talk to inevitably they hit up my DMS or we talk in a networking group and they're like, you know, I'm just, I haven't started a business yet. Cause I'm waiting for that really big idea, that Amazon idea. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, but you haven't started your one dollar idea like, yeah no I mean? yeah ideas are cheap executions everything and it's like it's just so important to get started or just like try something put yourself out there you know yeah. like yeah i hear you I, I i hate when people say like oh i i i need all the stars to align before i start it's like <laughs> i was in school in like thirty thousand dollars debt with like no idea how to start a business i just decided to do it yeah like and like i had no right to do it there was no right there was no like there was no at that time like oh surely rob will succeed it was like surely rob won't succeed you know like yeah, um, there yeah, was no yeah. like i didn't come from an entrepreneurial background i didn't have any money i didn't have anyone helping me like i invested my own money from student loans to get the inventory i taught myself how to build the whole business i designed the socks i manufactured them or like sourced the manufacturing i imported them yeah. i sold them myself like there was no it was all just me like hustling there was no help like of course I got help along the way after that, but like to get started, it was like 100% on me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, there's something like beautiful about that. And there's something, cause, cause I ha I've had similar ventures that started that way. Like it's, it was only me. I got help from a lot of people, but I had to do the work and things like that. And there's something beautiful about that. And I feel like there should, that's how a lot of people should start anyway. Like that's what you should experience kind of like a rite of passage, just like get started first and then keep going. And, and that's how a lot of like, you know, funding works, right? They ask you like, well, what are you currently doing? What have you done? Like, how, you know, usually you don't get funding if nothing has been done up to that point, right? Like, yeah, let's hope not. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I always say that like for first time founders, like, like you're much better off kind of like, like trying to just take base hits you know you don't need to hit a home mm. run like just like figure out how to run a business like don't go raise money right out the gate like try to actually learn how to you know generate a profit learn how to like build an like an acquisition engine that is profitable like build a sustainable business you know like so many people these days like raise money out the gate with their beautiful pitch deck and their ability to tell a story and then never actually build a business they burn millions <laughs> of, of investor dollars and then flame out and 
and then start doing consulting or start a marketing agency or some <laughs> something like that like you know and, and like look that's fine I guess but like you know I see you you know what I mean like I know yeah, you, didn't, yeah, yeah. You, didn't get, you didn't get the job done and the people that know know um, so I'm always a fan of the people that like bootstrap their way to product market fit, show that they've built a sustainable business and then go raise money, like prove yourself or be a second time founder. Be like, if I exit this business, like, yeah, I built, you know, a multi eight figure business It exited, like I'm raising money off the start because I know how to do this and I might as well put yeah. rocket fuel in it. Right. So like that yeah. makes sense. And there's a lot of credibility but for the person out of college as an idea, it's like <laughs> some of them make it work, but generally speaking, I, I want to see, or like, I appreciate seeing people that might try to do it on their own to start. Right. Right. And kind of get that experience because we've like, that's just like you mentioned earlier, right? It's where you grow. Like that's where you grow first is when you got to do it yourself. You got to, you got to bite the dust. You have to do all of these things um, to just get going. And, uh, and while, what, you know, when I found you on LinkedIn, you were trying to go on a lot of podcasts, you're trying to get it all done. You're a very busy man with all of these things going on. So I'm curious, uh, Rob, what is probably the most, what, what, what's the main message that you're trying to get out to everybody when you're doing kind of this podcast run, this kind of media run, like, what do you want people to understand from the rebrand and from like you as a, as a person and as a company? Um, I think like the main purpose of like this, this kind of podcast media blitz there right now is just to get more in the market with our new name on. I've done a lot of podcasts in the past where I'm talking about Endure and, and that's fine. And I want some stuff without way attached to it, but I think like anyone listening, like, do they really care? Like, no, maybe not. Like if, if there's entrepreneurs listening or founders or whatever, I think like the main message you can get from what I've learned or looking to me is that like, there's going to be significant ups and downs in any business you build. And we've had a few now we've had like our bio, we've had this rebrand and those are the two Then we've had the pandemics. So those are like kind of the three, mm. like really big ones where at any given time, there were moments where I was like, are we going to make it? Um, and then outside of those three large events, there's like weekly events where you're just like hitting your head against the wall and you're kind of stressed out. But I think the ultimate thing is like, these are things are normal in business and they're not unique. Everyone I've talked to that started a business at some points had like a co-founder issue or a partner buyout. Almost anyone who's made a, a large business has done something similar. Almost anyone who started a large business has had like different branding problems or trademark issues or whatever. Like these things are just... They suck, but you're not alone. Mm. I think if like if you are having these issues, it's because you're probably doing something right. Um, mm. You know, like if your business is growing and you find yourself in like co-founder dispute, there's probably money being made and like things are getting real. If you have a legal dispute, it's probably because you're on someone's radar. You know, like it's it's just they're almost at some some level how unfortunate and kind of painful they are. There, it it is a level of validation that you're on your way. Um, so I'd say like the main takeaway would be like, just keep moving forward. I always say like young founders or entrepreneurs or first time doesn't be young, like, and could be someone just starting their first business. Totally, totally awesome. It's that like the most important thing is time in the game. Like just stay in business, like build your brand until you have enough time in the game to actually look back, apply a level of hindsight as well as learned experience and be like, Oh, okay, like this worked, this didn't. And I'm going to use that as like a, an opportunity to, to evolve and grow in the future. It's like in the early days, especially in your first business, it's just, there's too many unknowns that if like 
you try and be perfect or you try to hit home runs, it's just like you'll burn yourself out and be discouraged. I think a lot of people either fail or quit too early. So I always say like your number one goal, if it's your first business or, or it's just like stay in the game, like keep your runway uh, as long as possible, like make smart decisions with, with finance and team and product and everything. And just like patience is, is everything. Like, you know, like you look at Amazon as an example, like they just grew at like 20% for 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's like just such a powerful move because like, it, uh, like a, an, like a one, two, three year timeline, it doesn't look super uh, significant or impressive, but then you take it out 20 years you're like, compounding is crazy you know like that's a monster <laughs> that's a monster business right so um I, I like that idea i'm a fan of growing fast but growing fast but sustainably sustainably yeah absolutely so you mentioned earlier uh when you were c- kind of going through the rebrand about culture and some of the things that you've done to build culture like in your company and so i i'm just curious because that culture gets thrown around when you talk about business and it's very uh it's very it's a fleeting idea for a lot of people it's very like you know like yeah mysterious. it's like words on paper yeah somebody goes yes you, you didn't have a really good culture in your company and I, I don't know what that means and so yeah. i've kind of like developed this idea but i'd love to hear your thoughts on like what like if building culture or, or your views on like culture in a company yeah i think like ultimately like culture will be of be determined and evolve based on the individuals that like you bring on the team, right? Like everyone brings their own flavor and, and the collective unit of your team really develops the culture. And at a certain point, like, unless those kind of like initial hires deeply understand your values as a founder, the culture will, will lead astray, right? Like there's just too many people. You can't have one, it's not a, like a a good company isn't you know run like a dictatorship you know it's like you kind of like your people help guide you and like evolve your ideas and bring you know it's no longer my company it's like it's ours we're working on it so it was important to me in the early days just to define like what our north store was like i wanted to find individuals especially in the early days that like really believed in what we were working towards like believed in the mission of the company believed in Mm -hmm. the values of like you know, we work hard, like we believe in perseverance, we believe in optimism, the things you saw come to life in that video, like, mm-hmm. when faced with like a really tough, you know, or faced with a large a moment of adversity, it's like, how do you react, you know, like our, our it would be like a failure in my eyes, if like our culture reacted to it, like, oh, this sucks, like, we're gonna go down, you know, like, uh, poor us, blah, 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 it's like, no, it's like, we've done this before, we're do it again, it sucks, but whatever, like, we're gonna just, we're gonna figure it out. And, you know, we're not only going to figure it out, we're going to be better than ever because of it. So um, I don't know. I think like culture is a weird one. Like you said, I think it's much more than like just writing down some values on a piece of paper and like reviewing them quarterly. It's, it's really about like living those values and hiring, promoting and firing by those values and by that mission and vision too is super important. It's like, yeah. like I said, like you basically have to screen for it with every person that comes in and make sure that like, are you excited about what we're working on? Cause like we are, and it's part of our culture, like, and just kind of like tease that out. And if someone, you know, like can fake it a little bit in the interview, but doesn't live up to it when they started, then it's another 
another decision to make, which is like, hey, this person's not right culture fit or they're underperforming or whatever. And you've got to, you know, hire slow, fire fast sort of deal. Um, and it's not a science and it evolves over time. But I think ultimately it's, uh, it's about your ability to kind of like have a really clear vision, mission values, hire your initial team that's really on board with those. And then as the, the, you grow your team, like you, you don't lose sight of that. So you're not bringing in like culture detractors into the organization that kind of are going to lead them straight. Because when something like we're still small enough, but even like crossing that from like five to 10 to 15 people, I saw that communication was breaking down and we actually had to formalize these things a little bit more. And I had to do more like all hands meetings every quarter to like realign and make sure like everything's known. Cause like, it's like uh, that game you play telephone where like every <laughs> like person that passes along the message changes a little bit. So like, I make it a point to like every quarter to kick off like our reviews where I bring the whole company and say like, here's how we're doing. Here's our goals. Like I kick it off with like, again, like here's our vision our mission, why we're working, what we're working on. Here's what's important. Here's our values, what they mean to us. Any questions are these, have these evolved, have these changed? Are we not living up to them? Um, and so I think that's like a, a really important thing to cadence around quarterly, if not more. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of like have your um, performance reviews kind of tied to that as well. If someone's like clearly um, not performing and so like one of our values is like an F1 team, like a formula one team. And I like yeah. that because like it talks to like, there's only so many teams, so like 20 teams. So like even just being a team is exclusive and it's like, it's hard and it's like, you have to like be the top team, but then because it's so difficult to even get a team, it's like, you gotta be the top performing people. Like you're trying, like everything's on the edge. You've gotta be innovative. Like, and so like, that's like a hiring criteria, right? Like, would you be on that team? And, and then every, you know, every kind of quarterly review or whatever, like, are you upholding the value of like what it means to be on that team, right? Like we're not a family. We are a high performance <laughs> F1 team, right? Like it's, yeah. we care about yeah. each other and we want what's best for each other, but there's a job to be done and there's a spec to meet and there's like a quality of work we expect and you're either evolving or not evolving within the company, you know, and yeah. those decisions have to be made. And those aren't, you know, like those are the downsides of this. This is like, as people quit and people get fired and um, that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's part, that's part of culture as well. And I think like, uh, yeah, again, a long winded answer, but like, I think culture ultimately comes down to kind of just like the values and the people you hire, and then you can't really control it much more than that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I heard one of the best definitions from culture because I ask a lot of people that on this podcast because it's such an, you know, it's such a just an arbitrary word sometimes. But I heard and I really liked what you said because it ties in with what, you know, I, I learned about culture. And that is like, you know, we're not a family, we're a team. And when you have and I, I thought it was great. He said uh, uh, a winning culture is based around like winning, right? Like we are constantly getting better and like improving and winning and somebody who doesn't contribute to that kind of like culture of winning, like doesn't need to be there. And yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's, it kind of sounds harsh when, when you talk about it in a podcast like this, but when you think about a team or when you think about anything like that, it just makes sense. It's just like, you know, basketball is really big here in Utah that we have the Utah jazz and, you know, all the time I hear my friends talk about like these players need to get off the team for the one common goal of the jazz like you know what i mean it's like the team is bigger the community is bigger than a single player right yeah and there's an obligation for the team to try and win and perform yeah. and if someone's not then it's just you're right it's not a family i think uh yeah it, it, like i think people want to tiptoe around the realities and like it is harsh but it's just a reality 
you know, yeah. like, yeah. And, and the, the same is true. Like an employee or a teammate can quit the team at any time too. So it's, it's not like a one way street. Right, um, right. And, and in all honesty, um, the market as well as the labor laws, at least in Canada favor the employee, like they can quit without notice, just walk away. There's no repercussions, but like, you know, to let someone go is, is a process, right? And there's a lot of, mm. a lot of performance improvement and, and this and that and all these things. It's like, it's, so it is lopsided. And so like, it does, that's why like a probation period, I think is important in any company is like to actually truly be able to gauge work product. But uh, when like, I've been thinking a lot about just the, the dynamics of people on your team and the truth is, is that there's a lot more power generally for, for the employee because they can just leave at any time without any, mm-hmm. you know, thought about the business. Um, but the opposite is not usually as true. So, um, but yeah, again, corporations, yeah. corporations have a lot of power too. And, and yeah. I think in a lot of companies, the employees are generally mistreated. So like I power to them, but I think when a company is doing their best, especially startups, mm-hmm. doing their best to do right by their employees, like it's extremely disruptive when, when, someone quits for like a shiny object or a new thing or whatever. Cause it's like you invest so much in them as well. And generally we're hiring just, you know, people that we believe in and training them. So like, they're not even like, like really productive for us for six months. Like, and then uh-huh. they learn new skills and then maybe they, they use those skills to leverage a, a new job or whatever. And that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's disruptive for, it's disruptive for a young growing company, but right. it is what it is. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just like one of the, the tougher parts that we're navigating. And but luckily we've only had a few people that have uh, we had to learn these lessons with, but like generally our team's exceptional and it's been like uh ride or die with us. So it's it's been great. That's awesome. No, I love that. That's that's great. And so to kind of like uh, you know, as we come to coming closer to the end of the of the podcast, um, I love to know uh what kind of learning tools have helped you the most in growing your company and uh, where, where do you feel like, you know, is it, is it books? Is it, was it masterminds? Was it, I don't know, courses. I mean, that's a buzzword right now, but I know some, some of them do really well. Some of them aren't, but kind of curious to hear like what, what you attribute a lot of your learning tools to. I first and foremost, I just like, I just learned by doing, you know, I, I immersed myself in the culture of entrepreneurship and like, I learned because I, I would find myself at a point in the business or wherever I was building where I didn't have answers. So I would have to seek them out. I didn't have mentors or people to talk to. Like I said, the first four years of my business, not even really knowing there was like an entrepreneur kind of like culture in where I live or other people doing it. I was like a former athlete. I didn't go to business school. I didn't know business people. Like my network was athletes in sports. So I just kept my head down and kind of like when I would hit a roadblock, like, Oh, how do I use Adobe Illustrator? Well, I'm going on YouTube and I'm going to figure it out. You know, how do I, how do I source something? Or I'm going to go up mainly YouTube was like a great resource, especially for like corporate legal stuff. And like, just trying to figure out like, what is a, you know, how do corporations get set up? And like, when I was going through the bio, like what do these terms mean? And just like, other than that, like I'm a big fan of books and most, most specifically like, um, like biographies to like of just entrepreneurs I look up to because I feel like you can, kind of lived their life and kind of experienced the, some, some of the stuff they experienced and try to avoid those, those pitfalls in your own journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then podcasts, like the ones I've listened to evolved over time, like some of the early ones to stuff like startup stories, like uh, my first million and or not certain. Yeah. I still enjoy my first million a lot, but um, uh, how I built this and uh, even 
uh, stuff like that, like startup podcast and I've kind of like yeah. outgrown those a little bit and don't find them as enjoyable. But like uh, in the early days, it was invaluable just to like kind of hear other people's journeys and be like, oh, I'm not alone. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think, yeah, YouTube, podcasts, books. I didn't do a lot of networking events or conferences or masterminds. Like I do a little more of that stuff now, but I don't know, like, I think you're better off kind of just like doing and applying and learning lessons as they come. Otherwise you're going to start to just like fill your brain with like mastermind stuff of like what everyone else is doing and then kind of try and make it your own rather than actually like be unique and innovative. Like um, there's a time and a place, but I think there's a superpower in the early days to kind of not doing it how it's always been done. And the only way yeah. to avoid that is to like be kind of inexperienced. So um, that's why I did. Yeah. I didn't know there was another way. You know, like I, I didn't even right. know when I started that you could raise money for a business. I thought the only way <laughs> to run a business was to be profitable. So we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's nothing wrong with that either, by the way. It's like, no, that's but it's a great just way apparently to do it. <laughs> it blew my mind when that was the, the abnormal way to build a business. Like, what do you mean you don't make money? <laughs> and it's just like, just like that is a wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that is wild. That is wild. Yeah. I see, I see people getting, you know, and we live in like the tech space in Utah. And, uh, you know, there's a new SaaS company every day popping up and I'm like, how do you guys like, and, and every day I hear stories of like, oh yeah, we're, we're in like, we haven't even gotten our product already yet, but we're raising a couple million. And I'm like, that's wild. Yeah. It's bonkers. I, mean, I just, just, I'm just like, <laughs> like, all right, like, dude, whatever luck. you gotta do, <laughs> go, whatever you gotta yeah. do, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So what's, um, you like biographies. I always enjoy biographies as well. What's your favorite one? Um, one that was most like relevant for me, like I liked the Chip Wilson story of Lululemon. Um, okay. oh, it's just, it's, cool. it's a phenomenal read. And he talked a lot about just like, uh, in the earlier middle of the book about like how he lost control of his company. And that was actually the, the book and kind of part that like motivated me to like actually go and move forward with buying out my co-founder. Cause I was like, you know, in order to actually take this company where I wanted to go, this is something that needs to be done. And so that was like a transformational mm-hmm. book for me. Others, uh, I've, just Steve Jobs is like a really good one. Um, mm-hmm. Just his biography. Um, uh, another one, like The Tao of Charlie Munger is really good. It's not a biography as much as someone just like, it's like little mini stories of all the kind of quotes or lessons Charlie's talked about over the years. And mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, those are the, the ones that come like top of mind. There's been, yeah. been others, but uh, I really look up to like Apple as a company and um and lululemon and so like yeah and it's just like (laughs) i love the way they built their their brand and their culture and um so those those were both pretty transformational and the steve Jobs story is obviously just fascinating so yeah um, yeah he he was wild too (laughs) yeah yeah so it's just like cool um so yeah those those are the the tower of charlie munger is like a must read i think and that one is like uh doesn't matter what business you're in there's just lessons there that are insane yeah all right. Well, I haven't read the Charlie Munger one yet. I've read a lot of the Warren Buffett uh, ones. Well, you know, I, I read a lot of those when I was going through um, my undergrad and things like that. Uh, so, but Charlie Munger, I mean, you hear about him, right? It's Charlie Munger is kind of interesting because we, we all hear about Warren Buffett and he's like the poster child of, of, of the two of the duo, but Charlie had a lot of like, I mean, he's still got a lot of like, he's just very underrated as far as someone to learn from. I think yeah, I think like Warren would be like like a great investor and capital allocator, whereas Munger'd be like just be able to understand a business and the mindset around it like like no one else. Like yeah. and so would be able to be like like 
pick the world-class operators or models and stuff and then Warren and like I'm I'll say you're not what I think this could be completely wrong but I would say Warren's the guy that's like okay here's the best investment structure we can make for this like the capital allocator like okay yeah. given all these inputs and look they're both extremely but what I gather from like reading the Tao Charlie Munger versus what I've learned about Warren Buffett is Munger just seems to have an understanding of business in general and the mindset around yeah. it and, and principles and ways of thinking that are just like exceptional so yeah that's awesome, man. I love that. And I love that you mentioned your learning just came from doing because that's what a lot, I mean, that's probably, that's the best answer that anybody could give for sure. But it's also, you know, I've ran into people when I talk about my podcast, they're like, it's also the most frustrating one. Cause there's no right. You know what I mean? It's like, what are your learning tools? I don't know, man, just go do it. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. The <laughs> but it is, what you, you have to. Yeah it's way easier to learn when you're faced with the actual problem because then you have to figure it out so it's like yeah yeah yeah. just yeah. like just by doing and trying new things it's like the best catalyst to kind of like actually like okay well i've got to read this book now because like <laughs> i need to figure this out so um yeah. and then just be interested like i just read things i don't like put any pressure on myself to read books because like that's what other people say they do it's like sure. i always look for stuff that's interesting and if i find it interesting then i'll just consume it yeah i think so the the inherent problem though uh, with figuring it out on your own is this idea that once you get to a certain level, you kind of look back and you're like, man, I should have done it better this way. And so there's, there's a little bit of hesitancy as you continue to make decisions. And so for you, um, I'm curious, did you, did you ever have thoughts like that? Like, oh man, I, I look back and I could have done it better. And how do, how do you overcome those thoughts if you have had them to like continue to make decisions and move forward, even though they might not be, even though you might be working with limited information. Yeah. I mean, like the question is framed. I've been asked it a few times. And it's usually framed similar or a little different. It's kind of like knowing what you know now, would you have done things differently? It's kind of like the yeah, question yeah, is yeah. like, now we say is like, well, if I was to start a new business, I would apply all the knowledge, but if I was to go back, I wouldn't because like everything I did wrong is what taught me like the really important lessons. And if I had skipped over those, I don't think I'd be, as well equipped as I am today to kind of like tackle some things. And, and then it evolves over time. So in the early days, you just have no information resources. So you just make the best kind of gut decision you can backed by any data you can find. And then it's your job to continue to do that, but then apply a layer of like hindsight and learned experience and say like, is this the right choice? And then as you evolve more, you start to develop relationships with people. You can bounce the idea off. And I often will try to like, if it's something I'm not fully sure about, I'll try and go through the first two steps and then engage like one of my mentors or whatever and be like, here's the problem. Here's how I'm thinking through it. Where am I wrong? And, uh, yeah. and, and then they can highlight where I maybe have a blind spot or something. And I'm not asking them, what would you do? Because like, I don't want to know what they would do. I want to know like where I'm wrong and could improve and like how I should approach it differently and, and learn. So like, and also like anyone that's going to tell you what to do is probably speaking from some, some level of survivor bias, which may not be applicable to, to your situation mm. anyway. So yeah. um, I generally just try and like, definitely ask all the right questions, see if the answer is out there. And then if I'm satisfied that I've like accumulated all the best people and resources, and there's still like a decision made without perfect information, which every decision doesn't have perfect information. Then I'll just go with my, I'll just go with my gut. Like, yeah. Just say like, you know, F it. Here we go. <laughs> I, I always just say like, look, if like you make a decision, it's okay to be wrong. Just a, don't make it again. 
don't make the same mistake twice. And B, if you had to like stand in front of a group of a hundred people and explain why you made that decision, that the majority of the group would say, mm. that's a reasonable, reasonable choice. Oh, and if you can't stand yeah, up, and, if you, if you wouldn't be comfortable standing up in front of the group and saying like, here's why I made that choice because most of them would be like, you're an idiot, then you probably shouldn't make that decision. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, that's a good point. Or do your homework more or like just start justifying why you got to do things. Yeah, I think that's great. I thought it's a great way to look at like decision-making. <laughs> like you have yeah. to stand up in front of a hundred people and, and, you know, clearly state your case and so that they'll agree with you. Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. Be, be reasonable and try to like just, because <laughs> like we, like we as individuals, like are really good at, at, at tricking ourselves and convincing ourselves and like you can mm -hmm. like reason and, and use logic to kind of like create your own narrative but the second you involve other people yeah. like they don't give a shit about your feelings for the most part so they're just going to tell you exactly how it is and uh that's a good way to kind of break down invisible barriers and be like okay i'm like i'm fooling myself a little bit here that's why i love it like just imagine i'm in front of 100 people or you know if, if i'm asked to explain myself in the future or like now i have investors we raised money last year so like every decision i make i'm like i'm gonna have to report on this at the end of the quarter so like if i don't have a good answer or a good story or a good reason then i'm gonna look like an idiot so that definitely gives me pause and <laughs> doesn't necessarily stop me from making risky decisions but i always make sure they're backed up with like you know like the right sort of mindset or thought process and yeah you don't want to be a great like, way to do it though yeah and you don't want to put yourself into like a box where you have to be perfect because then you'll never make any decisions so i always just say like given the chance would 51 percent of the people think that this was a reasonable choice like <laughs> uh, that's the goal not perfect yeah. just like enough to be like yeah okay go yeah you're like all right that makes sense yeah. <laughs> that's awesome well uh you've been really generous generous with your time i really appreciate uh the stories you've shared and everything um but before we leave i'd love to uh give you the floor to promote your the new name because yeah i probably will this podcast will be released probably right right around the time you release your new name uh and where they can find you and, and your store and, and get some socks man yeah so all our sales are online it'll just be outway.com o-u-t-w-a-y.com on socials you can find us uh at outway socks uh, across the board and then for me, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter, just at Rob Fraser, two Bs, R-O-B-B-F-R-A-S-C-R. -B -B -E pretty easy to find me. Um, I post kind of on Twitter and LinkedIn, like in real time, what's going on. It's like pretty open and transparent about like these sorts of conversations. And so if you want to follow along, you've got something like this, like follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, try to post something relevant each day. Um, do my best and miss some days. But uh, um, yeah, that's about it. I appreciate you having me on, being able to share the story. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.